welcome everyone to another episode of Asian Voices Radio Podcast, where you'll find real Asian American and Pacific Islander conversations about topics, including things you were too afraid to ask your Asian parents. I'm Hula Ramos, your host, and today I am joined by Elliot Jung Esquire. And uh, for those, hi Elliot, how are you doing by the way? Hey, I'm doing great. Thank you so much for uh, allowing me to be here. Of course, thanks for joining us today. And um, so I do add the Esquire. And for those that don't know, what what does that actually mean? Like, why do you have an Esquire at the end of your name? Well, for you know all of us that have Asian parents, I know that the big thing for them is to ultimately have the goal of allowing their kid to become a doctor. So it's right. not the same designation as uh, as a, a MD, but it is still a doctorate. It's for people that ultimately pass the the bar examination, and then they become an attorney. Okay. So yes, we are talking to um, Elliot Jong. He is an attorney. Um, what type of law are you, what field are you in? Mainly injury. So anytime that people are dealing with some type of injury, because there's been an accident, somebody has been assaulted, um, we represent the people that have, have been injured. Okay. Okay. We'll go, we'll deep dive a little bit more into that. Cause I know a lot of people, um, that are listening today would get some really, you know, great information in regards to, you know, lawsuits or, or things that they, you know, might be dealing with. But let's first get to know Elliot a little bit more. Elliot, tell me about like where you grew up and did you always want to become a lawyer as you grew up? Or is that more of an Asian, like your Asian parents pushing you to go in that route? <laughs> I, so well, I grew up in LA and growing up in LA, um, I had, um, my parents are from South Korea and they emigrated over here. Okay. And my brother and I, um, we were born here and growing up, uh, they definitely pushed us. They pushed us into going into academics like most people, but um, never pushed me into the law, never pushed me into becoming an attorney. And mm-hmm. so actually that was a path that I found myself. Um, and it just, at some point in my life, um, I, figured out that, hey, this is exactly what I want to do because of some of the personal things that had happened in my family. You know, without going too deep into it, uh, at one point, my my dad was facing um, a series of lawsuits, and I felt that the attorneys were definitely um, not trying to help him. And so when I felt that my father did not have a voice, mm-hmm. uh, that's just something that I'll never forget. And so I, that was a seed that was planted a long, long time ago. Wow. So through that experience, it kind of gave you that, okay, I need to help my father, you know, get his voice out there. And maybe if I take this route, this will, you know, allow that to not only happen to any of my family members, but to anybody else in the future. Yeah. And I, you know what, I don't want to just, you know, distill it down to that one incident. Cause I think that it's a series of things that I saw happening to my parents, but yes, I think that that was one of the, the triggering things that I, I'll always remember. But uh, anybody that has parents that are not first generation here, they mm-hmm. know those situations where your parents have been taken advantage of, misunderstood. Um, mm-hmm. And it's mainly because of the language barrier. And so when you're younger and you're a kid and you, you want to speak up, but in, in our culture, it's, you know, the parents know best, the uh, your elders know better. Right, right. You have that muffled voice and man, is that frustrating. Well, now... Oh. You, you're not going to be able to muffle my voice. So it's, it's a, it's a freeing feeling. 
So, I mean, yeah, talk about that more. You know, you know, I know growing up here in San Diego, for me, um, a lot of things would happen to my parents. I mean, we've gotten to, I mean, not trying to be stereotypical, I think my my dad was just a really horrible driver, um, but he, we've gotten to many accidents and we've had to deal with our fair share of lawyers. And it just, I feel like, you know, the, the language barrier was difficult for my parents to explain things. And as a kid, as a, a teen, for me, I would have to explain things and that's not what a teenager should be doing. You know, it's, it, you know, kind of explain that. Sure. Yeah. It's um, I think for, for me, it was difficult because when you're younger, obviously uh, with brain development and maturity, you don't fully understand what's going on in the world, but you know, when something doesn't feel right, or, you know, when somebody's taken advantage of. And so as a minor, seeing that happen to my parents, seeing that happen to my family, you know that you want to speak up and say something, but it's it's the difficulty is finding the right words or seeing mm-hmm. if you can step in and be that voice. And unfortunately, I wasn't able to do that when I was younger. And so, you know, those are the things that I remember. And so I know that that at some point directed me into this path of becoming an attorney and now knowing if I, I see something that is wrong, I can speak up for the first time. And it's a great feeling. Well, give us some advice, you know, for those that are listening, you know, a lot of uh, our listeners are um, people who have, you know, their parents who are not originally born or, you know, from the United States. How, how do we, you know, deal with stuff that if we get into accidents or or situations uh, with the law? Well, first it starts with trust. It has to start with trust because um, one of the things that we we have to overcome or one of the things that we we struggle with sometimes with people that are, are um, not first generation here is just not having trust with uh, people that don't speak their language or not having mm-hmm. trust with uh, professionals like attorneys. And so when that trust is not there and you don't really know uh, what needs to happen, it's difficult to start reaching out for help. Most of the time, like for example, my parents would just think that, you know what, we'll just deal with this on our own, not seek help. So this step number one is speaking to somebody that is an attorney if you're if you're dealing with some type of legal matter and seeing if you can establish trust. Once you establish that trust and you find somebody that you think this is a person that will absolutely do what's in my best interest, Mm-hmm. then you kind of have to give up the reins and say, you know what, I'm, I'm going to listen to this person and give up that control. And I think that's the hardest part is giving up the controls and trusting into uh, trusting another person that you've never met before. Right. No, absolutely. And, and you know, I would assume that, um, or maybe I'm wrong, you know, just like with medical advice, you know, if you don't feel, tr- you know, that you don't trust your doctor, you can always seek in a second opinion, right? I mean, I would think that would be the logical choice. Yes, absolutely. You know, at the end of the day, uh, being in this profession and working with doctors, working with uh, uh, other attorneys, you realize that um, just because you have a certain degree, just because you um, have your JD, it doesn't mean that we are all created equals. Mm -hmm. There's levels as to Mm -hmm. the experience and expertise. And so you're absolutely right. Um, There's levels as to um, whether or not uh, a professional is going to be ethical or not. So um, you just have to, you have to find somebody that you think that you can hundred percent trust and you look at their history. That's the best way is to see who have they helped in the past 
um, if they're an attorney to see if it's, it's the right person for you. So. Okay. So as far as, you know, after trusting this person and relinquishing control, which, you know, it's hard. Like, I think I just think of my father and my dad is so like, so controlling about everything that happens. And he, he definitely fits the, you know, Asian stereotype of, you know, he knows better than the actual lawyer. And I always have to tell him like, stop, be quiet. <laughs> you, you know, he, that's why this person is a professional, like that, they, that's their job. It's okay to let go. But like, but once that all, is all established, what happens next? Well, it's interesting that um, you said that in regards to your father being that way, because definitely I, I feel my, my, my parents, especially my dad was the same way. I, I think that when you're younger, um, seeing that you, you kind of, you look up to your father and you say, hey, everything that this person is saying, it's going to be 100% true. They have to be absolutely right. But mm -hmm. um, as I got older, I, I started to realize, wait a second, my dad's a human being just like anybody else. And I, you know what? I think he's wrong half the time that he's telling me all these things. <laughs> I need to figure out. I'm like, wait, dad, where are you getting this information? Because some of this stuff is just not panning out. And right. so if you're going to be the person that's, you know, um, making these decisions, I think that you got to have more information. So just like you're saying with your experiences, as I got older, I think I started to realize that, um, you know what, maybe no disrespect, you know, we're all about respecting our elders, no disrespect to my dad. He's, he's an amazing person, but you know what, sometimes he gets it wrong. And so mm -hmm. um, we just have to realize that. And then when it's, when you're dealing with God, God forbid, uh, a legal matter or uh, some type of medical issue, then absolutely you have to deal, you have to deal with the professionals and you have to relinquish that trust. Um, and so I guess the next steps that you're talking about is just communication. I think the biggest mm -hmm. thing that, that uh, the most important thing for me as an attorney, when I'm representing my clients is just communication without uh, good communication with my client. I can't fully understand all the things that they've gone through. I can't fully understand the pains that they're experiencing. And I, I have to know, how this incident happened. And so without communication, it's just not there. So sometimes uh, what helps too is making sure that, you know, nowadays we use translators for mm -hmm. there's so many different languages here in San Diego. And you're, you're talking about the, all the different Asian cultures, there's so many different translators. And so just making sure that if we don't speak the language, you have to have a great translator. And so I think that's also another big misconception is, people uh, that are not, um, you know, originally from the United States, not born here and the English is not their first language. They may just go with an attorney just because they speak that language, but that does not mean that that is a competent uh, person or a competent expert that can help you. And so even though language is that first comfort level, I think that you have to dig a little bit deeper if you're gonna find the right person that's gonna be helping you. Oh, that's good. That's good advice. I definitely, you know, I, I feel like what you're saying, it, it's almost like a relationship, you know, the trust, the communication, like you definitely have to get that. Um, it's, it's important, especially when you have to go through legal matters. Um, how is, how important is it to have a translator who speaks the language, but is also familiar with the culture? I, I think that that's uh, also equally important. And luckily for us, I think that um, the people that we've, uh, been working with and we still work with um have that understanding because you know what there, there's going to be a terminology that doesn't translate when you're just translating the words really understanding how a person's 
um, you know, how they grew up, how that, mm-hmm. what that culture represents is so important. And so it's not just the translation of words. It can never be that because there's just so much, uh, there, there can be so much that gets lost in translation if it's just, just straight translation. So um, understanding the culture is so important. No, that, yeah, absolutely. I agree. So you are a family man, right? I think, I believe off the air, we, we've discussed this. You are a, a girl dad too? I am. I am a girl dad. I got, I got two young girls. Um, I never, when I was growing up, I never thought that I would be the type of person that was like, oh, I can't wait to have kids. But I, I have to say the moment that I had these two girls, it's been really the best. I can't imagine anything else, um, you know, living this life without them. I just couldn't imagine it. And I know that kids aren't always for everybody, but for me, I've just realized this has been an amazing experience so far. And it's, and it, for me, it's just started. So I can't wait. No, absolutely. It, it no, it, you're right. When it comes to, I, I'm a girl dad too. So I, you know, I, I, it just changes your life and you're just like, I never think, you know, I never thought, Oh, I'm going to raise a lot of kids. And then all of a sudden, boom, I have my two girls and I'm like, I can't even imagine without them. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's just, it's crazy. But uh, with that being said, you know, with law and children, can you give us some advice about that? You know, if, if you have kids that are involved in accidents. Yes. So that uh, of course, for me, that, that changed a lot after I had my kids. Um, I think that when you have your own kids, uh, you see how they just interact with you. Um, some of the different th- the needs that they have as kids, the um, just communication in general for kids and th- their mind is growing, their brain is developing. And so once I had my girls and then I had cases where kids were being injured, kids were being assaulted, even worse, mm-hmm. kids, uh, young kids that are being um, molested, unfortunately, um, mm. that is, I mean, that's like, uh, it's gut wrenching, you know, to be able to see that and knowing that a child so young is dealing with the pain like that is, um, it's terrible, but at the same time, um, I'm glad that I have my own kids because I, I feel like it gives me a better understanding of the journey that they're going to have to take or me trying to communicate with them to get them to open up about what's happened. Um, it, it's been very helpful for me. Um, what advice would you give? I mean, you brought up something that kind of touched close to my heart because of the fact that, um, you know, I've mentioned this before in previous podcasts and, and, um, when I was in the radio business, but, um, I was molested as a child by another teen, by a teen, like what advice would you give like legal advice? you know, if that was a situation that, you know, as a parent you hear happens. Well, Hula, I'm sorry about that. I, I, I didn't know that. I didn't hear that um, in the other podcast. So, um, I mean, that's a terrible situation for anybody to go through, but um, you have to, the first step is just re- reporting it. I, I wouldn't say it's my advice, but it's just, you have to. I know that there's many difficulties and concerns that uh, people are thinking about. Mm-hmm. When you think, hey, I'm going to report, are people going to believe me? Um, there's going to be more uh, light on this issue. I don't even want to talk about it. And, you know, some kids just close up and um, who knows the other things that they, the demons that they have to battle. But yeah, number one is reporting it. And then um, number two is the 
right? The, the healing process of like what's understanding what this kid's uh, gone through and then what's it going to take for this person to be able to, to deal with this type of trauma. So I don't think that there's a, a clear answer in regards to, you know, the, the magic thing that this child will need moving forward. Mm-hmm. But I will say that, um, yeah, those are probably hands down the most difficult uh, situations that we have to deal with because sometimes the kids are so young that uh, the communication can be an issue. You know, we, you have to prove the incident. You have to prove the case. So um, if the child is very young and communication becomes an issue, um, it can be difficult. Same thing with uh, getting a statement from a child. You know, if a, a child is very young and you're trying to get a statement from them, there could be multiple hurdles because if this child is getting a statement from, let's say, an investigator or somebody that they don't know, mm-hmm. I've seen kids just start saying no. You know, they just keep saying no, no to every question because they're just, this is a stranger. They think that this is, you know, what's going on and they're unsure. So, no, no. And, and, and you know, growing up Asian, um, you know, it's like we've, we've talked about it before and everybody's, you know, it's, it's a stereotype that just, you know, sits with Asians and Pacific Islanders, you know, where you don't really talk about that kind of stuff. And so for me personally, um, when it happened to me, I took that information and I buried it and I didn't speak of it. You know, you don't talk about that stuff. You don't embarrass your family. You don't, you don't bring up secrets like that. That's not for you to mention to anybody. So I kept that really quiet for years through my teenage years, through my young adult years. And, and honestly, like close to my thirties, eventually I had like a light that said, you know, it's just something in me that said, you know what, you've come to terms with this situation that happened to you and it's okay you know, you've, you've kind of grew into this person who's become a lot more confident and stronger. And so I, I came with an acceptance of it. And so now I guess me voicing it out to people is allowing, you know, is for me to share that information with people, not just for you to go, Oh, poor hula. It's more for me to go, it happened to him. And if it's happening to him, I should speak up. You know, that's kind of why I bring it up. And, you know, I'm hoping that other, you know, Asian American Pacific Islanders could, hear this story and, you know, speak up to a people like yourself or, you know, people they trust. That's awesome. And I think that you're hundred percent right. The more that, uh, you know, these type of topics get spoken about people like you have the courage to be able to speak up. I think that it will definitely allow, um, other people in the community, other people that are Asian American that, um, are going through something like this, give them, get, gives them the courage to say, you know what, it's going to be okay. You know, I'm not going to get bullied for this. I'm not going to be made fun of. I could still be a, a strong person. I could still be successful in life and overcome this, even though somebody has harmed me in this way. It doesn't have to be the end. Uh, you, mm-hmm. I don't have to keep it inside. I mean, that's that's anybody that's dealing with some type of trauma internally. I mean, that's one of the first things that they do is just to be able for the healing process is to be able to speak about it, right? If you don't speak about it and it's just stirring inside of you for that long, the potential damage that can happen is, is significant. So no, thank you for, for telling me about that and um, allowing other people to hear that. No, absolutely. I think that'll give people courage. Yeah, no, absolutely. And it, and it, it allows, you know, there are people like you and, you know, other professionals that, 
that are trustworthy. And, you know, I, I guess it's more of just to show people that, you know, there, cause there's a lot of Asians that don't want to speak. If they get into an accident, if they are harmed in any way, they may, they may not share all the information because they feel like, oh, that's not the proper thing to do. Or that's culturally, that's not what I'm supposed to do. You know, I'm just supposed to suck it up and, you know, keep it secret, you know, that's, but when there's people like you, if I had people like, like you surrounding me, things may have been different for me in my life, you know, in an earlier age, it could have came out a little bit earlier and things could have been dealt with at a, a you know, a much quicker situation than being an adult now. And now it's all in the past and, you know, whatever, but yeah, it's, I think that's another real reason for me to bring it up is, is just to let, you know, let people know that you should share the information and, you know, be, you know, find trustworthy people like Elliot. Well, yeah. Uh, and the other thing too, that um, you just made me think about is it, you said it was somebody that was close to you. And most of the time that I see these types of cases, it, it's always somebody that's very close um, to the, uh, the boy or girl that's dealing with the injury. It's, it's not like some random stranger that comes out of nowhere. And then this like happens to, yes, those cases exist, but most of the time when it is some type of uh, sexual assault case or a molestation case, it's always somebody close to the family near and dear to them, or somebody obviously mm -hmm. that has access to the kids. And so that's, what's so shocking is that people get so shocked. Oh, how could this have happened? But it's um, yeah, it's always somebody that's close. Yeah, yeah, and the, yeah, absolutely, one hundred percent agree. Yeah. So wow, I feel <laughs> a lot of. <laughs> I brought it up before, but yeah. every time I bring it up, it's always like a, a release for me. And and like I said, it, it it's something that happened to me, and I hope it helps those that are listening and they're going through a situation that you can find help. You know. Absolutely. But uh, let's just shift gears a little bit. Um, Elliot, do you want to talk about your latest community involvement, food charity efforts that you have? Yeah, sure. Um, one of the things that uh, dur during the holidays, um, our team, we were just, we're always thinking about different ways that um, we can help our community. And we had uh, talked about something called the HHJ project Uh it's a division of our law firm that we wanted to focus specifically just on philanthropy. And we wanted to really make an impact. Like what could we really do to make an impact in the community besides, of course, like making donations is helpful for different nonprofits and organizations, but what could we do ourselves spending our time um, to really make an impact? And recently we've been able to team up uh, with a, a nonprofit organization that's specifically geared at helping people in local San Diego, San Diego communities that are uh, underrepresented and probably once or twice a week, um, mm -hmm. this company's going out and delivering food, just food, not like it's, you know, the leftover food or groceries, but really like fresh uh, fruits, vegetables, uh, even like diapers, um, uh, PPP equipment, uh, masks, um, hand sanitizers and things like that. And yeah, I, I just went uh, last week and we went to two different sites. And um, I mean, we had probably like 200 people show up uh, at the two different wow. locations. And, you know, everyone's wearing masks. So you, it's hard to see the, the facial expression, but um, there, there's definitely a need. 
you know, there's that many people that are coming out and it was cold in the cold and they're, you know, they have bags, all sorts of different types of bags and we got to give food to these people. Um, and so we, we've been loving it. We're trying to do as, as many as we can per month. It's something that we want to do, uh, dedicate our time to, but we, we didn't want to just like put a little bandaid on this need in San Diego County. We're really trying to find, um, different people, different organizations that also, uh, become aware uh, of this cause and the need locally in San Diego so that, um, you know, this issue is highlighted, more and more people get involved, more companies get involved, uh, we can feed more and more people. And so um, that's what we've been focusing on the HHJ project. And how uh, boots on the ground. Uh huh. Yeah, boots on the ground and making sure that uh, we had the funding and the food uh, to be able to um, get this food going for for all these different communities and how can people uh you know join your efforts and, and get involved yeah so uh, i don't know if there's a way that we can um put a link or, or our contact information at the end of this but yeah i mean i, I have no problem if people want to reach out to me directly i can get them uh connected with the nonprofit. uh the head guy that we work with is a guy named oscar Ian. he He's really the one that's been um, the the lead on this. He's been doing this, I think, for about uh, two, maybe three years now, um, running his own nonprofit up in uh, North County. But yeah, if anybody wants to contact me, we can talk about other ways that they can contribute if they want to come and physically help, if they want to donate money. Uh, we'd love all of that. So. So Elliot, um, there may be a lot of Asian American or Pacific Islander folks that uh, may be, you know, worried about contacting you because of the fees and stuff like that. Like, how can people go about, you know, doing this? Sure. I mean, th th I think that's uh, right. The biggest misconception that, hey, if I contact an attorney, um, am I going to have to pay a retainer fee? Am I going to have to pay some money up front right away? And yes, that does exist. But for our office, for our firm, uh, we work off of something called a contingency fee, meaning that if, if you've been injured in some type of accident or you've been harmed in some way and we have to represent you, you actually don't give us a penny. Well, the only way that oh. we get paid is if we are ultimately successful on resolving your case and getting some type of settlement or a judgment in court, then we take a percentage of that. So, And if you don't ever get paid and you don't ever get a settlement or judgment, then you owe us nothing. So it's uh, it's called a contingency fee and that's how we operate. Oh, that's good to know. Good information to know for sure. Well, man, Elliot, I got to say, you gave us some some great information, especially for a lot of Asian American and, uh, Asian and Pacific Islander uh, folks that, you know, maybe, you know, just feel like they can't really talk to lawyers. They, at least we know one. <laughs> that's great. Hey, that's a start. That's a start, you know, step by step. Um, we appreciate you joining the show. And for those that, um, you know, just so you know, um, Elliot is going to be co-hosting with us uh, multiple podcast shows. So he will be back. If you happen to have any questions um, about the law or anything you've heard or, you know, specifically want to ask a lawyer, maybe we do a segment like ask a lawyer and, you know, have specific uh, examples or questions that we can ask Elliot, feel free to reach out to us. Or Elliot, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to contact you? Sure. And and if they want to reach out for the HHA project, or if they just have any issues that come up, they can shoot me an email. It's e 
J-U-N-G at H-H-J trial attorneys, which is plural.com. Can you give that link one more time? Sure. It's E-J-U-N-G at H-H-J trial attorneys, A-T-T-O-R-N-E-Y-S.com. And of course you can... Yeah, no worries. And of course, um, you can always reach out to us. We'll have the link um, and his email um, at asianvoicesradio.com. And you can get all the information about Elliot. Of course, Elliot will be back in future podcasts, um, shows to talk about the law and just be a co-host with us. So we're excited to have you on board, Elliot. Um, Thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Awesome. Thank you, Hula. Of course. Also, if you would like to subscribe as well as follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, please do so. Um, But until next week, I'm Hula Ramos. And on behalf of my special guest, Elliot Jung Esquire, we'd like to thank you for listening. And please join us next week for another exciting and thought-provoking Asian Voices radio show. Until next time, everybody. We'll see ya.